Good morning, church. My name is Ike Nicholson. I'm the senior pastor. Uh, welcome. Glad you're here today. Uh, today, we're continuing in a series, and I'll speak to that a little bit more, but I'm going to be reading today from 2 Timothy chapter 3. That can sometimes take a little longer than normal to find in your New Testament. Uh, if you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far, uh, but it's after uh, Second uh, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, etc. So while you're looking for Second Timothy chapter three, I just want to let you know that uh, Pastor Joe and I were talking about eight or nine weeks ago. I said, Pastor Joe, is there any way that the Denver Broncos are going to the Super Bowl? And he said, Only if they buy tickets. So, uh, <laughs> so and I'm still trying to figure this out. Joe's like going like this in the back. So do we? Is there a being being new to Colorado? I need your help. Is there like a second team like? Are we Chiefs fans now, or somebody told me somebody told me we're Raiders fans? Do, do I need to move away? <laughs> oh my goodness! So Second Timothy. Hopefully you found it by now. Second Timothy chapter three. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse one of Second Timothy three. These are some sobering words that Scripture are going to give us today. I'm, uh, ironically, looking forward to sharing with you uh, some of the uh, things that I believe God is seeking to teach us through his word this morning. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. I'm going to end there. May God open our hearts and minds to that which His Spirit will teach us this morning. Amen. I think that all of us have had the experience at one time in our life when we've met somebody who compliments us, and then a couple minutes later after they've left, you think to yourself, have I just gotten insulted? It happens to me all the time. Somebody will come up to me and say, man, Pastor, you look really good in dark suits. It's slimming. (laughs) You know, all of us have had those moments in our life when uh, we uh, wish that we could have taken back what we just said, and I don't want to talk this morning just about those moments or those situations where we simply say something we shouldn't have or we're struggling to make sense of some seemingly faux pas kind of statement. I'm convinced that the world would probably be a much better place if all of us just got over ourselves. We started a couple of weeks ago, if you're visiting today or if you're just coming back after a couple of weeks, we began a series uh, starting the first Sunday of the new year on healthy beginnings, uh, healthy living. 
You know, New Year's is the time that we all always like to think about uh, New Year's resolutions, what we can add to our lives, what we can take away from our lives uh, that will help us live healthier, happier lives. That if we could just <clears throat> hold to that New Year's resolution, then everything would be better. Everything would be perfect. In the first message that I shared with you on that first Sunday, we looked at what it means to make the decision not just to add something new to our life or make some sort of resolution, but what does it look like when we decide to live a meaningful life? And we looked into God's Word and we saw that, that the best way toward living a meaningful life is if we live in the will of God, God's will for each of us. Last week, we took some time to painfully consider who it is we worship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Today, I want to spend some time on what I think is one of the hardest things in life to deal with. I warned Pastor Joe, our Connections Pastor, and Miss Rose, they work with our pastoral care ministry and team here. My expectation is, is that their phone calls will increase this week. Because some of the things that we're going to cover are difficult, they're painful, they may very well raise some painful memories or experiences that you're currently in. It may also confront us with some of the things in our life with which we are struggling that a New Year's resolution might not just take care of that simply. So I want to begin with, as we talk about how we deal with toxicity in our lives, or more specifically, people who act toxically. Now, if you go online and you look at, uh, uh, you Google online toxic people, you're going to see lots of articles that will talk about how to deal with toxic people. And one of the things that I'm trying to do, not only in this message, but also in our study guide for small group ministries, but anybody can pick one up. They're just to the left of the Welcome Center that kind of go a little bit deeper uh, uh, into the message that we're uh, uh, considering this morning. I, I get a little uncomfortable when people talk about toxic people rather than people who are dealing with toxicity. I mean, I mean, sometimes when we deal with toxic people, we can sort of relegate them to the side and, and we can be dismissive of them. And we forget that they're human beings, they're brothers and sisters, just like me and you, and that there's always a reason for their toxic behavior. And so we're going to be looking at that a little bit as well. So, so I don't want to just say, here are some ways that we can think about living with toxic people, but here are ways that all of us can deal with the spiritual pitfalls of a toxic life or toxicity in our life. And the first thing that I want to share with you is that toxicity is a sign of our human brokenness and rebellion. When I first started praying about this message, you know, I really believe that God does this sort of thing. I'm sitting home in my, my, I like to call it my home study. It's really the smallest room in the house that's way back in the corner out of the way. And as I was sitting there in, in, in my home study, thinking and praying about this, I happened to lift my eyes and look at the bookshelf, and I saw a book that was written by one of my very dear friends, a guy named Dr. Ralph Hawkins. Dr. Hawkins is a professor now and a noted archaeologist. 
He started out as a Church of Christ pastor, then became a Christian church pastor. He's now a pastor in the United Methodist Church. I'm hoping someday he'll find a church he likes. But, uh, but nevertheless, he, he, th- that's who he is, I suppose. But, but what he does is he's a professor at Averett University in Virginia, <clears throat> but he's actually one of the world's renowned archaeologists and experts on some pile of dirt in the country of Jordan. It's way over my head, but he's like really, really, really sought after when it comes to understanding this area uh, of, of dirt and mud and, 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 and old broken down buildings. But before, and he writes tons of books about that, and you know, they're, they're not, I mean, if you're struggling with insomnia, I recommend one of those books. But, but he did write one book that, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast, but he did write one book that is really powerful. Matter of fact, I hope someday maybe we'll do a study on it, because the title of the book is Leadership Lessons Learned from King Saul. You know, sometimes when we learn something, uh, there's two ways that we can learn. We can either learn by looking at folks who do things very well, right? And then there's ways that we can learn by looking at people who don't do things very well, and we can say, ah, that's what I should not be doing. And King Saul is a perfect example of what we should not be doing. My friend Ralph, when he talks to Dr. Hawkins, when he talks about uh, the story of King Saul, uh, you probably remember this. Uh, If you were in Sunday school and if you haven't heard of it before, I recommend it begins in in, in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18 and goes on for several chapters. matter of fact, what you can do, just go to 1 Samuel 18, just start reading and don't stop reading until it stops getting interesting. Hopefully you'll get through Revelation. But anyway... In 1 Samuel 18, there's this whole story about King David and King Saul. King Saul's the first king. David is the king that comes after Saul. And uh, uh, the the, the story that develops here is how uh, this young, soon-to-be King David had to deal with an angry, jealous King Saul. How King Saul tried time and time again to kill David. And each time... As David, filled with, with, with bitterness, was plotting ways to, 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 to execute and, and, and capture and kill David, each time God would deliver Saul into David's hands. And unbeknownst to Saul, David would have an opportunity to kill Saul, this guy who's trying to kill him. It's a, it's a powerful story. And each time that presumably God delivered Saul into David's hand, David would not kill Saul. Most of the time it was when Saul was sleeping and and Saul would wake up and he would realize that David had had an opportunity to take his life and Saul would uh, be be changed in that moment and he uh, he would shout out, Oh, David, I'm so sorry I was angry. I'm so sorry I was jealous. Can you ever forgive me? And David would forgive him. Y'all have met people like that before, right? When you catch them into something and they realize they've messed up, they say, oh, I'm so sorry, I promise it'll never happen again. You say, oh, don't worry about it. And then minutes later, they're back to their old tricks again, huh? It's sort of human nature. It's just sort of how we all are wired. I mean, if any of you have been in a car accident, I've been in a couple myself throughout my life, and, and you know, after you've had a car accident... I mean, you're the best driver on the road. You're stopping at every stop sign. 
you're, you're using your turn signal, you, you've got your seatbelt on, until about three or four weeks go by, and then you're back to your normal self again. This is just what it means to be a human being. And this is one of the struggles that Saul was having. And the interesting thing is, is that each time David, filled with God's spirit, would forgive, and not only forgive, but would seek to protect Saul from anybody else hurting him. Now I hope that none of us in this room are dealing with that level of toxicity in our lives. That you're dealing with somebody who's trying to take your life, and each time you spare their life, they try to take your life again. Hopefully, none of you are dealing with that particular situation, but I bet every single person in this room has at least one person in their life who is a constant harassment to you, a constant issue in your life, always the problem, always the the center of every issue in your life. What are some of the kinds of toxicity that you and other people deal with? I'm going to give you a list of them, and I hope that if you're taking notes, you might write down and I'm just I'm giving them names. I don't know how scientific it is, but I'm giving you. I think you'll resonate with it, maybe. And I hope that you'll just write it down. Now, don't write anybody's name next to it. Just 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 write down the issue. How about the controller? Y'all know some controllers. Person who is a master manipulator and a constant controller. That person who always wants to be in charge, not just of their lives but yours as well. They have trouble letting go, so they don't let go. They hold on too tightly until it about chokes all of those around them. These are the folks that literally, well, figuratively, we're trying to teach our kids how to use the word literally. My daughter said, literally, my head exploded. No, it didn't. (laughs) Literally, I was walking on clouds. I hope not. These are the folks that, that figuratively, that's the better use of the word, these are the folks that figuratively choke us to death. We can't even breathe around them. They suffocate us because they're always trying to show the world that they're more superior than you or anyone else. The other toxic spiritual issue that plagues many people is the abuser. <coughs> Now, this is the person who is desperately needy inside. And they take it out on you and on the world around them. Through their own experiences of internalized hurt and pain, they have become angry and vicious and cruel to those that they say they care about. Now, these folks need some healing from God. If you find yourself in a home of an abuser brothers or sisters, you need to get out now. Don't stay in a potentially dangerous situation with some false hope that because you put up with it, they're somehow going to change. It does not happen. It's not up to you. Protect yourself and protect those lives that you care about. There's the other person, the too easily angered person. I didn't know what other kind of word to give it, but y'all know what I'm talking about. The too easily angered person. This person is the one you always feel like you have to walk on eggshells around, that you have to tiptoe around. These people become irate at even the smallest things. 
which is a sure sign that there's a deep-rooted issue in their lives. These folks may throw things, hit things in their way. They spout off angry words that they can never take back. You've seen them before. They're at ball games of middle school kids. They're on the golf course. They're at stressful office meetings. And they're on South Broadway at 5 o'clock. I've seen them. You have too. There's also the bully. This is the person who has a strong need to feel better, and they think that they look better when they put you in your place, whether it's necessary or not. They bully anyone in their paths. They don't care about anybody else's feelings. They don't respect anybody else's insights or integrity. They're the be-all and know-all kind of folks. There's the addict. This person is addicted to a substance or to a negative pattern, worse probably, or a behavior that has severely affected their well-being as a person. These people need help too. But they also need people who will be brave enough to speak truth into their lives and not those who will feed their habit, enable their actions, or ignore dangerous signs of addiction. Now, I know how hard this one is. You've been in the presence of an addictive person, and, 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 and all of the pain and all of the angst and all of the hurt kind of comes up, and, and, and so you just get worn down, you be, get beat down, so you just give them what they want to get through the next moments. Some folks do that with people who have a, a, a significantly horrific, addictive behaviors, who just who who are addicted to, to power and, and 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 all those sorts of things, or, or who always have to be right. And, and so we say, "Yeah, you're right," and we don't really think that. We just say it to them so they'll go away. But remember that in doing that, all we have done is fed that spiritual demon in their life. And we've made it so that somebody else has now got to put up with it. Then there's the negative person. This is the person who has rarely anything positive to say about anything. Now, we don't have negative people in the life of the church, so you don't really need to worry about that here. These are the folks who, when they look at an issue or a situation, they always have a negative slant on everything. And they have no problem at all telling you every reason it won't work. Now, here on our staff at South Suburban Church, we work really hard not to get sucked into this kind of thinking. So what we do as a staff, instead of saying, we can't do this, we want to pay attention to appropriately important barriers or problems. It's important to know what the barriers and problems are. We don't want to diminish or dismiss things that might be an issue. So instead of saying, we can't do this, what we try to say is, we can do this if. We can do this if this is fixed or if this is attended to. These folks who are negative suck the life right out of you if you're around them too much. Before long, you want to give up on your church You want to give up on your small group. You want to give up on your relationship. You want to give up on your family. You want to give up on your place of work. 
Because these folks walk around every day in defeat, and they choose to believe the worst about pretty much everything. And here's the problem with negative people. They'll eventually believe the worst about you as well. And before you know it, you'll start feeling the same way. I, I, you've heard the phrase, uh, 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 one good apple will make a whole barrel of bad apples ripe again. Have you heard that phrase? No, you haven't heard that phrase. It's one bad apple can ruin a whole barrel of good apples. This is a serious, spiritual, toxic issue that you need to be on alert for. Then there's also the blamer. This is the person that is never to blame because it's always whose fault? Your fault. Or the fault of someone else. They will blame everything on others close to them. If they fail at something, it's your fault. If an effort fails, it's somebody else's fault. You will never, ever win around the blamer because their aim is to bring you down through their constant blame game. One of the things that Shauna and I do with our children, and we don't always do it well, but one of the things that we try to do is, is we say to our children, look, when you've messed up, here's, well, I want to hear two things from you. Number one, I'm sorry. And number two, it won't happen again. Now, it invariably happens again. And when it does, I want them to say two things. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. They'll do it again and I want to hear two things. I'm sorry, and it won't happen again. Eventually, by God's grace, hopefully it won't happen again. Accepting responsibility for our mess-ups is an important part of raising young people who will become responsible adults. And responsible adults will be able to have a positive impact in their field of influence when they recognize that sometimes every single one of us are going to mess up. Listen, we have 16 people now on staff. And as the senior pastor, if every time we messed up, I blamed everybody else on staff but myself, eventually the staff would lose respect for me. Sometimes I mess up. Now you think about it in your own life. When I say to my colleagues here at South Sub Church, hey, I messed up that. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. The same happens in your life. When you meet somebody who has messed up and, and, and they say, that was my fault, that's on me, I'm sorry, it won't happen again. What that does, it doesn't tear you down, it actually builds you up because people start to trust you. They understand that you can look at situations and look at barriers and think about them and set a path forward that will help overcome them. Then, of course, there's the gossiper. This is the person who's always talking about someone else. We, we don't have gossipers in church either. Gossiper comes to the front church, they say, this ain't the place for me, and they go somewhere else. But gossipers have really no regard for the reputation of another. They feed on lies, exaggerations, mere hearsay, and half-truths. They tend to feel better while talking about others so that they can somehow feel better about themselves. Let me, let, me, let me remind you of what your grandmother said to you. If they'll gossip to you, 
they'll gossip about you. Then there's the person who's arrogant. This person is proud, self-serving, and is always, always, always right. They never want to be made the fool of, and they have no problem labeling other people as foolish. They prey on the weak to make themselves appear better. They're quick to judge, quick to offer their opinions, no matter how foolish or ridiculous their opinions, and they're rude to others in subservient positions. Their goal in life is to to be superior to all of those around you. If you are in leadership of someone who, quote-unquote, is below you on the, the organizational chart, and all you do is beat them down, you're not a leader. Those of us who are, uh, uh, have responsibilities to folks who are on different levels of, of the organizational chart, our job is to lift them up. Our job is to encourage them. Our job is to deploy them toward their strengths for the good of the mission, the good of the vision, the good of the organization, and for the good of them. What I say to other leaders, particularly other pastors, a leader's primary job is to make other leaders. A father's job is to encourage other men to be great fathers. A mother's job is to encourage other women to be great mothers. A husband's job is to encourage other men to be great husbands. A wife's job is to encourage other women to be great wives. If we're not building people up, and we're tearing them down, we're falling prey to the spiritual demonic power of toxicity in our life. Then, of course, there's the victim. Now, I don't want you to get confused with the folks who have really been victimized in life, folks who are seeking God's peace and healing, but I'm talking about the person who always feels like they're constantly the victim, that life isn't fair to them. That God isn't fair to them. In every situation, all throughout life, they're the ones that are constantly taken advantage of, always needy, always telling you what another person has done to hurt them, how no one cares about them. They see themselves constantly as the victim, and before long, if you keep lending them an ear, you may be the next one that they say victimized them. Nothing that I've said so far surprises any of you. I've I've, I've not seen a single shocked face in the entire room. As a matter of fact, I think at some point, almost every single one of you nodded your head. You didn't need to come here today to hear about all the problems that you experienced throughout the week or to have those folks with whom you have to deal that are such a problem uh, have their issues laid out for you. You're probably asking yourself the question, well, what can I do about it, though? Well, this is the part where it gets hard. So first, what I want you to remember before we talk about that is this gospel truth. Jesus defeats sin and its effects, including toxicity. Listen, brothers and sisters, there is hope in these situations. And for folks who are struggling with this in their life, there is a new beginning for them. 
Yesterday at our brotherhood breakfast, our speaker was a guy named Jordan Murphy. He survived the Aurora movie theater shooting. He gave his testimony about God had been with him every moment of his life from the before the shooting, during the shooting, and after the shooting. And, and not to get into it, it was powerful testimony, amazing testimony. One, probably, I know I say this after every brotherhood, one of the best brotherhood breakfasts we've been to. And, and you know, he fo- trying, you know, played for a CU, football star, fullback. Uh, one of the struggles that he had, though, as much as he trained, he was just too short. He just didn't have the height to be considered for an NFL team. And he, he was angry at God for this, upset with himself about this, until the evening of the shooting when he felt a bullet zip past the top of his head. And it dawned on him that if he had been taller, he wouldn't be here. After he gave his testimony, he asked the folks around the table to <clears throat> share with each other about how God had moved in each of their lives when they were struggling, trying to discern where God was. And the table at which I was sitting, all of the men began to share with one another. And it was moving, it was powerful to have the men around the table that I was at share with how God had walked with them through all of the troubles and issues in their life. And even though it might have, in the midst of the trouble, they might have wondered where God where God was, but when they got past the trouble, they looked back and they said, that's exactly where I needed to be that God had led me to. I was encouraged to have these men around my table glorify God for his sovereignty in their life. Jesus offered himself for our sins on the cross, but he defeated sin and death the day he threw off the grave clothes and walked out of the tomb. Sometimes the hardest thing in the world is to remember that difficult people are dealing with a spiritual issue in their life. And when you look in the mirror and you you can confess to yourself those things that Pastor said about all of those toxic issues, oh my goodness, I'm guilty of some of those things as well. Yes. Because we too need to confess our own toxicity. We all have hope to change through the grace and goodness of God. And the first step there is to fully understand is to know that you need God's grace and mercy in your life. If the problem is with you, if the problem is with me, I have to admit that to myself. And I have to confess that to God. And each of us have to do the same thing. In my own life, I always hate this part, Pastor Joe. In my own life, I'm going to share some things with you. Some of you may have already picked up on these things. And I share them not not to, to make myself look good or look bad, but to resonate with you that every single one of us struggle with these things. In my own life, like many of you, I too have struggled with toxic behavior. When I was a young man, I was a hothead. I was arrogant, impatient. It actually kind of goes with being a preacher. Let me tell you something. If you get up in front of people regularly and you have the audacity to share with them the counsels of God and you're not careful about that, you're going to get arrogant. And I don't care how good we preach. I don't care how good Pastor Joe hides it. 
I'm trying to deflect here, aren't I? It's toxic, isn't it? I don't care how good you are at acting humble. Arrogance will creep into every single one of our lives. And even today I struggle with these things. You can ask Shauna. Just not today. And it wasn't until I sat down and looked at myself in the mirror and I said to God, I am guilty of being a hothead. I'm guilty of arrogance. I'm guilty of impatience. And you know, I kidded myself that these behaviors weren't necessarily having a bad impact on my children or on my marriage. And it really wasn't until I began to see my own son begin to parrot how I was acting that I realized the danger of my own behavior. I remember my own dad saying to me growing up, because I've been struggling with this with years, my own father would say, son, I want you to use your confidence, but don't let it rule you to the point of destructive pride. Son, I want you to use your anger for strength, but don't let your anger control you, especially that big mouth of yours. You've got to confess those things to God. before. If you say, yeah, I do have those problems, I'm going to fix them. I know you're going to fail. Because you cannot fix yourself just like I can't fix myself. God does that through the work of Jesus Christ and through the sanctifying power of his spirit. That it is a spiritual issue. It is a spiritual disease that only the Holy Spirit can be the great physician of. Now, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I actually appreciate people who have confidence in their abilities. What I don't appreciate is people who are so prideful they won't ask questions, who aren't willing to learn from someone else. I have two little phrases written in the front of my Bible that I read as often as I can. One of them says, if you're not willing to be taught, you cannot teach. And the other little phrase I have written in front of my Bible is, if you're unwilling to be led you cannot lead. But what about other people? What if the issues that we deal with stem from within a family member or a close friend? What if I'm feeling good about who I am, but, but, but the toxicity in my life is this person who I love and who I'm close to, or a friend? Well, with humility, with honesty... I would encourage you to let those folks know what they're doing in your life. Now, you've heard this phrase before, but in Matthew chapter 18, you remember it, but you didn't know the text perhaps. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Not Facebook, not emails to your friends. Not around the the water cooler at work. Not to everybody else in the neighborhood, but to them alone. 
If he listens to you, you've gained your brother or sister back. But if he or she does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You know, unfortunately, we want peace in our lives more than we want health. And we'll put up with an unhealthy situation so that we can have peace. But it's a false peace. We will appease, we will avoid, we will feed people's toxicity so we don't have to deal with it. But remember, somebody else does. May I encourage you, hold people in your lives to biblical expectations. Humbly, graciously, steadfastly hold the line. No one will ever know who you really are until you say no. If you let somebody keep taking advantage of you over and over and over again, they never know who you are. But when you say no, now they know who you are. You see, we are called to holiness, to detox, (laughs) Seek reconciliation. Man, that's biblical. But remember, no other person has the right to trample you down. No person has the right to make you feel inferior, abuse you, or bully you. It is your responsibility to set limits to protect yourself. Now, if you find yourself, I'm going to say it again, if you find yourself in a dangerous, abusive, or addictive relationship, get out. Get help today. It's not up to you to change the other person's behavior. It's up to you to protect your life and the lives of those you care about. And the true reality is is you may need to adjust how much time you spend with certain people. You may need to spend time forming new and healthier relationships. You may need to seek out counsel. You may need to call uh, one of the pastors or pastoral team of our church, one of our elders. You may need to find a good support group to encourage you and provide you safety. You know, when Paul writes to the young pastor, Titus, in the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says to the, to the young boy preacher, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once or twice, have nothing more to do with him. Sometimes we have to end the relationships. And it's not a horrible thing because it's in those moments that true conversion happens. I can't tell you how many times I've counseled couples going through a divorce and even though, even though what the husband did, the wife could never forgive him again, the truth is, is that moment when she said no more was the moment he said, man, I'm not living my life the way it should be lived. And even though he may not have been able to restore his marriage, he was able to restore his future. When I read the text earlier in the service from 2 Timothy, if you were following along with me, you realize that I didn't finish reading it. Because the last phrase that I left off is when Paul says to another young preacher, Timothy, all of those toxic things that he mentioned, Paul says, avoid such people. I'm almost done. God accomplishes great things through your prayers. He can move mountains, as we sang this morning. He can change hearts. Anything is possible from God's great power.
But understand that though it is never up to you to make someone different, he has set you in their path, in their lives for a purpose, for a reason. And maybe the biggest purpose you have is to be a light to them in their darkness, to extend gracious love and forgiveness no matter what, and to show your strength in a mighty God by setting clear boundaries and allowing them to answer to him for the way that they treat you and others. Remember, this kind of stuff that we're talking about, it's a sign of human brokenness. Not someone's intrinsic evil. We all need a savior. Jesus came to defeat the brokenness of our human condition. But we need to begin by looking at our own lives. Confess our own toxicity and get help if we need to. And never, ever, ever forget. God is calling me and you to a holy life. A life of health. A life of wholeness. Where he can be glorified. Merciful God, your word gave us strong words today that remind us of the brokenness of life. And as much as we want to turn our eyes away from the brokenness, especially in our current cultural mindset where we do nothing but argue and news agencies sell Uh, commercial space and newspapers by recounting the constant toxic arguments. We are your people. A people who lift up health and wholeness. A people who lift up the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Move us, O God, to be your light in a world that would rather fight and tear down when you have reached down and built up. In Jesus' name, amen. As the elder-